Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. I hope you have your discernment hats on today because we are going to talk about uh, a very important issue where the church is concerned, and we'll introduce our special guest in just a minute. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another opportunity to stand up for the truth of your word and to really, Lord, be watchmen on the wall. Uh, We thank you for what you're allowing to happen because we know prophecies are being fulfilled and we are getting closer and closer to uh, the very last of the last days. We thank you for that. We pray that you would encourage people who are faint-hearted and maybe overwhelmed by all that's happening in the world and particularly what's happening in the church. And I think that's what grieves some of us the most, to see the Bride of Christ in the state that she is in. But Lord, help us to inform, encourage, equip, and, and, and when necessary, challenge our brothers and sisters to uh, go to your word and discern the truth and discern what's happening from a biblical perspective. And that's what we ask, Lord, that you'd give us the strength and the um, leading by your Holy Spirit to do today, this hour. Holy Spirit, guide us. Have your way. May the name of Jesus be glorified. And may we bring clarity to uh, something that was incredibly impactful on the church, particularly in America. We love you, Lord. We thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcoming back a student of the Bible since the 1980s who has presented over 150 prophecy updates to her church, and she ran a radio program behind the news for years on Christian radio. And you hear her two-minute warnings, and those are heard around the country. Just heard one before Stand Up For The Truth today. Welcome back, Mary Danielson. Hi, Mary. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. And as soon as when you said, you know, have your discernment caps on, I was thinking, and your thinking caps, because this is a lot of information today. Yes, it is. We are talking about the state of the American church in uh, reference to the emergent church. Whatever happened to the emerging or the emergent church? Well, we're going to get into that today, and uh, there's so much to cover, a lot of um, important information, but we're going to ask, well, there's got to be some fruit. We discern it as rotten fruit, including social justice, liberalism, identity politics, that's infected um, our churches in America like a cancer. We'll get to that in a minute, but we're going to explain some of the details in the background, but first, I'll I'll just uh, toss it over to you, Maren. You've got some... Well, I don't know, some disturbing news that you'd like to share. Well, for your news junkies, (laughs) this just in. The emerging church, the controversial Christian movement that inspired many to plant churches, leave behind their faith, and question authority, died in her sleep Thursday following a short illness. She was estimated to have been around 20. According to spokespersons relevant to the situation, she was ready to pass and beyond any life-saving treatment. While Miss Church had detractors in the established churches, she was instrumental in the advent of many innovations in the church, including facial hair, tattoos, free trade coffee, gluten-free and non-Welch's communion elements, candles, couches and sanctuaries, Eastern mysticism, R-rated movie discussions, storytelling, as well as endless conversations about authority in the church, environmentalism, social justice, and the demise of the conservative influence on the worldview of young Christians. Controversies about gay marriage and abortion caused many stresses in her life, leading to a downturn in her health. She's survived by her parents, secret church and church growth movement, grandmother postmodernism, and paternal grandparents, social gospel and liberal theology. She's survived by a sister, house church movement, and a brother, new monasticism. She's also survived by two sons, American-born hipster Christianity, and something European that resembles emergent and numerous grandchildren that many in the church are unwilling to name. She was preceded in death by CCM, praise choruses, Colby the singing songbook, Sunday sermons, and anything else from the 80s that reminds emergent gurus of their traditional roots. Her father, a generation removed from the Jesus movement, lives near Chicago while her mother lived in Washington, D.C. with boyfriend progressivism. Her parents have since reconciled. Miss Church's growing frustration with the theology of her forebears started her on a journey that ultimately led to her death. 
I will change Christianity if it kills me in the process, she was famous for saying. She was never able to understand their fascination with absolutes. Due to a rebellious heart, she probably never would. Some of her friends and acquaintances have set up vigils protesting the news of her death. An un unnamed spokesman commented, Now, I don't want to go all Elvis on everyone, but she isn't dead. Her demise is a ploy by her enemies to destroy her credibility. Her death has been faked. She'll turn up eventually. So is it true? Has the emergent church passed from being the coolest thing in the Christian subculture to a mere footnote in a yet-to-be-written volume on church history? Or perhaps a Mark Twain quote is appropriate here. The rumors of her demise are greatly exaggerated. Mm -hmm. Let's pause with that thought right there, Mayor. Um, the rumors of her demise are greatly exaggerated. And the question we need to ask and answer, we'll talk about a little bit of the history for our newer listeners, especially younger Christians, about what happened in church history. What about decades ago, the emergent church? How did that come to fruition, and who were some of the players? We'll talk about that, but was it just another trendy movement? Did it have an expiration date? I think an important point uh, that we'd like to make is the effects, even though the names may have been changed <laughs> and you don't hear them anymore, the key players, as much. They're still working. They're still alive. They're still in the, uh, the Christian left, you know, so to speak. Um, let's talk about the downward progression that you mentioned that um, affects the church today. And um, I don't want to jump ahead too far without going back and talking about some history, but um, let, let's talk about that, Mayor. Where, where are we at today? Because you just read that obituary, and a lot of our listeners are going, yeah, what? whatever happened to the emergent church? We don't hear much about that, at least in those terms. Well, the thing about trendiness is those who are trendy are always looking in the rearview mirror so they can stay one step of, ahead of whatever it is that they are promoting. But my premise here is that, you know, the enemy of our souls would never let a good deception go to waste in any format. Um, you know, what it has become assures us that it is never going to go away, but it's going to morph. And so just just a, a warning here, the danger of that kind of thinking that it has an expiration date is, is that once you pass around that notion, uh, no, we no longer have to spend time trying to understand the context of how we got here um, or the bones of the movement, which... Uh, firstly, will help explain the next movement, and secondly, it's it's naive to think we can drop our guard and lower the discernment bar even an inch, because once the church has watered down the gospel sufficiently to satisfy all those itching ears out there, um, what's really scary is the chance of returning to orthodoxy on a large scale in the times we live in. And Dave, you mentioned that the hour being late, and in these times of apostasy are pretty much slim to none. Mm -hmm. um, something we need to remember, I think it was Virgin, who has a quote, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, discernment is not a matter of uh, discerning what's right and wrong. He said discernment is a matter of telling what is right from what is almost yes. right. And a lot of the emergent church leaders, gurus, we can go back to Tony Campalo, uh, Brian McLaren, uh, we can go on down the list and maybe we'll mention them a little bit more in detail later, tell who they are if necessary. But you guys can look it up. We'll put some links in the podcast post today at StandForTheTruth.com. Um, they came in. <laughs> I like what you we were talking before the, the podcast today that goes all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it? When Satan said, hath God really said, did God really say? And if you take that concept, questioning not only God's authority, but what he actually said, that is one of the key tactics that the emergent church has used through the decades. Did God really say we're to judge or condemn, for example, homosexuality? That's the popular sin of the day, right? Um, did God really say that that's a sin? And even uh, Jim Wallace was, I think, quoted as saying, abomination is a really harsh word, you know, when it comes to that. Like, okay, so wait a minute. So now we're going back to redefine. So he's pointing out like, okay, abomination, yeah, maybe a harsh word, but does, does that mean that nowhere else in Scripture is homosexuality mentioned? Does Paul ever mention it? Did Jesus define marriage? You know, so they said, did God really say, share with us a little bit about the importance of recognizing that that is something the enemy will continue to use until Jesus returns, I'm sure. Right. There, it, there are no, there are no um, 
like you said, there is no expiration date. You know, you think about something like the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course came into the church uh, back in the 80s. Uh, it had very spurious beginnings, and now the church didn't kick it to the curb. You know, when the church refuses to kick something to the curb, it will come back, and it'll come back mm. to a generation who isn't familiar. That's why this show is so important. You know, maybe you weren't walking with the Lord when the emergent church was around, but mm-hmm. you still need to know about it. Yes. I like one thing you said, and I've got your booklet in front of me, What You Need to Know About Jim Wallace and the Social Justice Gospel. Uh, first, where can people get these if they want copies? Can they get these online? They have them on Lighthouse Trails. They can also email me, uh, and I'll be happy to send that out to them. Um, just see chapel at ccappleton.org, and I have a list of all my booklets, and people can get a, a, an order form that way. Okay, you make this point. Unbiblical trends in the church tend to snowball. And I think, I mean, that sounds very simplistic, but it is so true. Unbiblical trends tend to snowball, and it it doesn't just happen overnight. This is a gradual, and like the emergent church, it was a gradual infestation. It crept and slithered th- through America, infecting countless victims. What are some of his goals? Well, questioning God, compromise, ambiguity, tolerance, some of the words they use, some of the concepts they mm-hmm. put uh, on their umbrella, globalism, mysticism, um, in many cases, collectivism, universalism, Everyone's going to heaven, right? And then on the other side of that coin, there is no hell. Hell is not a real place. So there's a lot of things. Its path is destruction. Its foundation is sinking sand. I want to read Jude chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And here's an interesting explanation about what's happening today, but this, of course, was written thousands of years ago, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. If that isn't a an extremely valuable scripture to look at when we're talking about the emergent church and this movement that we're, that we're seeing the residual of today that began decades ago. Men crept in, mm-hmm. I and mean, we were warned. Jude warns. Paul warns. Peter. Jesus. Peter, Peter. Colossians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked um, the verse 2, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the address. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Is that in one of the Timothys? I'm supposed to know this. But the point being— Putting you on the spot, man. You know, you've been warned. You've been warned. If if you're looking at how much worse it's getting, it says, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to understand that. Other warnings. Um, You mentioned Colossians. I'm not sure if this is the verse you were referring to, but in Colossians 2, um, verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception— according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes, the traditions and words of men versus the words of God, you have to choose. Which of these are going to form the basis of your entire life and worldview? Um, Because if it's the traditions and words of men, that's what happens in Colossians. Uh, You mentioned, Mary, in this uh, booklet, and we are kind of defining the emergent church what it is, we'll talk about its history, and then what happened and what we're seeing today, um, some of the rotten fruit, um, the advance of liberal theology via uh, these church growth movements, big mega churches, the business model, right? Modeling things like the, the corporate church, um, the current state of apost- apostasy that the church finds itself in today is very clear because of these, but it took a while for the enemy to use enough men and women now today, of course, there's a lot of women that are watering down the truth, watering down the gospel. And as you said, there's so many places, in, and we'll, we'll probably get to more of those scriptures, where we have been warned. We need to guard our churches, guard our the, the truth, defend the truth. And I think we need more watchmen. We need more people, not just doing a podcast or, or a radio program or writing but we need more, more people in everyday American churches that are going to say, well, wait a minute, 
did the pastor really just say that? Is this what I heard coming from the pulpit? But I think people, I don't know, is it, is it our inability to, to process what is being preached? Or is it uh, maybe people are just maybe apathetic? And we're gonna, I know we're going to talk about the lukewarm Laodicean church, because I think we've resembled that for many, many years mm-hmm. and in is, America. And is the Bible being preached in the church? Are people even tuned in to whether it's the Bible? Not talking about the Bible, actually speaking the Bible and teaching it. Um, and, you know, in Jude, where it says, contend for the faith, a few of you. No, I think that's written to everybody. And and so, I, and like I said before, jumping in at this point and trying to make sense of every delusion that's out there is oh, a goodness. mind-boggling. Um, but people can, at least through programs like this, at least get an idea mm-hmm. of what is going wrong out there. So one of the foundational deceptions of the emergent church would be... Um, uh, they, many of them don't believe that man can know absolute truth. So you've got the idea of moral absolutes. That, like there are no fixed mm-hmm. moral standards. There is no God and no biblical morality, no godly morality, the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you throw out absolutes, right. then anything goes. And so many times we refer to the last verse in the book of Judges, and in those days there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And our culture is heading in that direction. But isn't that part partly because the church has kind of let down our guard and allowed culture and secular progressives and deceivers to influence us instead of us influencing yep. culture in the world? Bingo. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, Bingo. Mary. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, that, you know, when somebody says there are no absolute truths, I say, are you sure? And they'll say, absolutely. <laughs> so... Gotcha, right there, right? <laughs> Wait a minute, that's your truth. <laughs> <laughs> All truth is God's truth. Um, well, the social gospel is what actually underpins the emergent church. It's the gospel of the emergent church. The emergent church can be practice and emotions, and I feel and I feel. But the social gospel is that catalyst for morphing a sort of a fringe mystical movement uh, into, um, you know, this last day's uh, kind of church. You know, uh, we were talking earlier how, how some of it is, is unsaved people and some of it is people in the church who are being um, sucked into this. It, what it does is it, uh, the social gospel places all the emphasis for how to be and how to recognize an authentic Christian on feeding, educating, advocating, and meeting the needs of the poor and the marginalized. It replaces the message of the gospel, repentance, salvation by grace, regeneration by indwelling Holy Spirit with social works as the primary communication of truth and redemption. So it has, it has the works part down because there are biblical works um, and there are great social needs in our day. No one's yes. denying that. Yes. But the saving faith part takes a back seat uh, or maybe no, makes uh, no appearance at all in this sort of a self-righteous do-gooding gospel of oftentimes false humility and self-imposed poverty. I think of a guy like Shane Claiborne, and, and his whole message is, if you're not doing it like I am, then you're not doing it at all. Mm-hmm. But Jesus never issued any call for political change, not even by peaceful means. He didn't come to be a political or social reformer. Um, the gospel that he preached did not have to do with social justice. Um, rather than attempt to change governments, and this is important, and institutions which are made up of people, Jesus came to change people's hearts and point them to God's kingdom wherever they are in life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those things, and I do want, we're going to take a break in a minute. When we come back from the break, we, I think we need to differentiate between the social gospel and social justice, because they're two different things. Mm-hmm. One's more uh, uh, political and uh, um, man-centered. The other one, the gospel, of course. We know what the gospel is, but why put social in front of it? What does that mean? So we'll talk about that, but again... These deceivers, and particularly those that have um, got the emergent church you know, going and affecting what we see now and what we have today, the results, uh, questioning individual salvation, as you said, but also denying the existence of hell. So what about judgment? There's no judgment anymore. Um, there's no eternal separation from God. All religions are viable paths to God. They question the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus— for our sins on the cross, but this idea that, well, would would a loving God? Did you see the interview with Aaron Rodgers? No, I couldn't bring okay. myself to watch okay. it actually, but well, I heard about it. Very disappointed, as as many of our listeners know. In two thousand and nine, someone introduced him to Rob Bell, 
Rob, quote, Nohel Bell. Um, and unfortunately, he started reading Rob Bell's books. And he, he, I say this not knowing if he was truly converted. Now, that might sound like a judgmental statement, but we don't know where he was at in his faith. Based on interviews, based on what his own word, his, what he has said, based on what I've read about him and his background, we don't know, although we know what kind of family he comes from, we don't know that Aaron Rodgers was converted. We need to pray for him. Let's make that very clear. Please pray for him. He could have his platform. He could have an amazing impact, not only on NFL players, but on so many people that look up to him as God, small g, and idolize him. But if he were to be, speak out for Christ, but he doesn't believe in hell. He doesn't believe in judgment. He says, how could a loving, and he uses this word, sensitive, loving, omnipotent God send most of the world to hell? Well, he's got that so wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. We he's know, creating a God in his own image. Exactly. We know the horrific brutality of the tortures and what Jesus Christ endured, what he went through. For the cross, that's why he came. A loving God loved us that much that he would send his son to be the, our sacrifice, the sacrifice for our sins. So people like that get it wrong when they say, how could a loving God? So we'll talk more about the difference between social justice and the social gospel when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Mary Danielson. Uh, we are talking about the emergent church, the residual effect, the cancer in America and in our churches today. But I, I don't want to leave this hanging because before we took a break, we mentioned Aaron Rodgers. I did. Um, please pray, not only for him, but there's so many NFL players that maybe grew up in a Christian fo- home, and we need to d- define that. What does that mean? And now have either fallen away or they never were truly converted to begin with. Mary, you said something off air. I I do want to share this with the audience before we get back into the social gospel and the social justice movement. Um, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Could you explain that in light of the context that I mentioned, Aaron Rodgers and how he grew up? Because we don't know. Right. We don't know. And um, I I believe from what I've heard anyway that he was raised in a Christian home. um, And yet, you know, Kids that are raised in a Christian home. That doesn't um, guarantee anything. It doesn't guarantee anything. They're almost like preacher's kids in a way. They have to find their own way. And since God does not have any grandchildren, each person, each human who ever lived uh, has to make that decision to accept or reject the Holy Spirit drawing them to eternal life. And what does a Christian home mean? You can have Christian parents. Does that mean you go to church once a week? Is that a Christian home? Does that mean, well, my parents believe in God and... Maybe the essentials of salvation. Is that a Christian home? Are you praying every day with your family? Are you, is your dad teaching the kids the Bible? Are you homeschooled? Are you being, learning what discipleship means? And are you actively evangelizing? Is that a Christian home? What is it? So we have to understand that there are many understandings of, quote, mm-hmm. Christian home. I just wanted to clarify that because we said that before we went on our break. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned the social gospel, and we, most of us, understand what the social justice movement is and the, the damage it's doing and how many people it has duped, and Satan has his minions uh, to use that social justice movement. So can you please clarify, uh, Mary, the um, social gospel versus the social justice movement? Yes, yeah, social justice is sort of a concept, I guess, of fair uh, and just relationships between an individual and society, and it's measured by the distribution of wealth, for instance, opportunities uh, for personal activity, social privileges, the haves and have-nots. It's been around for a long time. Now, if you think about it, uh, technically, taxation is social justice, so are public schools, because everyone who pays taxes gets, say, access to public schools and public works like sanitation. Now, um, Caesar collected taxes, and, and you know I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. It is the law, and we are to render unto Caesar. This is just an example of certain things that the public pays for that that individual people uh, reap benefits from. Um, the world that we live in has that built in. But when you combine that with the social gospel, now we have uh, a morally sanctioned concept, a morally sanctioned concept of demanding political change that Jesus never once advocated for. The social justice in all of its forms, uh, including identity politics, is is what we're going to get into, 
um, uh, social justice, there's such a heavyweight moral behind it. Christians have to do this. Uh, mm. Political correctness, this is their doctrine, and, and the practice of social justice is how they play out their Christianity. You must do this. Yeah. Um, Just like I do it. <laughs> be cautioned whether it's the word justice, because God is a God of justice, mm-hmm. whether it's the word rights. Um, whenever there is an adjective added to a value-based noun, such as justice, there's an agenda right behind yep. it. So whenever you put a word, like let, let's, let's go over to the word rights for a minute. I mean, how many different groups and peoples and individuals need rights? Um, so back to the word justice, social justice. Um, there's this book that I got in my hand here that was written about 10 years ago. <laughs> Other meanings of social justice support the idea of creating a society or institution that's based on the principles of equality and solidarity, like, as you mentioned, progressive taxation, income redistribution, and in some cases, property redistribution, which is scary. It appears the beneficiaries on the receiving end are often determined by those who are promoting social justice. Social justice proponents typically protest capitalism. They engage in anti-war activism, and it goes on and on. Social justice is a code phrase of the left that's still alive today and very, very well alive. I mean, Bernie Sanders, I mean, someone say that he's a social justice warrior, but he's a, a borderline communist. Yeah. Yeah, really but we, many of us don't want to label him as that, but let, let's call it what it is in our old understandings and definitions of these things. So let's get back to how this infected the church today, because the emergent church had to infect the actual church that we have here in America. And uh, the fruit of it today, Mayor, uh, as you said, uh, identity politics, I don't know if you wanted to jump ahead to that already, um, because we're seeing right now, here's an example. We've got a guy running for president, the mayor of Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. What's identity politics? He's identifying as a Christian, but he says, I am a homosexual Christian. I'm a gay Christian. And he's okay with that. He's saying this is absolutely right. What is astounding to me about this is there's hardly any pushback. I don't hear many. Where's the church? You know, I mean, the left is going, yeah, he can be gay. He can be a Christian. So because the church is, I'm not saying silent because there are some people speaking out about this, but because generally people aren't hearing much pushback. Oh, okay, I guess you can right. be gay and be a Christian. Right, and once we talk about identity politics, people will see that frog-in-the-pot thing that's going on here and how we've been conditioned to accept what I call hyphenated Christianity. Hyphenated. <laughs> I am this, and then I'm a Christian. I am this, and identity politics is so much bigger than people realize. you want me to get into it a little bit here? Sure, sure, yeah, let's do it. Because I think this is what the emergent church has morphed into. So we started out talking about the emergent church, mm-hmm. social gospel, uh, social gospel, social justice. Well, here we are. Here is the morph. Here's the next thing. Um, Wikipedia did a pretty good job um, identifying it, so I'll start there. Um, it's a political approach based on people prioritizing their concerns that are most relevant to their own racial, religious, ethnic, sexual, social, cultural, or other identity. Then they form political alliances with others of this group. Now this group represents the cause. <clears throat> and so people who prioritize this kind of identity politics, they will promote their group's interests over everything else. So when they get into the church, the number one thing on their mind isn't the gospel, it's their identity, their, their own personal identity. They feel oppressed by social inequities. Um, and so they take this collection, collective action. Identity politics is a layer of the social justice agenda. Now, you gave the um, example of uh, Mr. Buttigieg. Think about Elizabeth Warren. Here's another one. She contrived this Native American identity uh, combined with being female to use identity tactics for mm-hmm. her own gain. Now, here's another thing. It's called intersectional identity politics. Listen to this. If you can be female plus LGBTQ plus a minority race plus me too. Now this is some supposedly some serious power that you're wielding, and everybody's supposed to be on the edge of their seats about this. 
Um, it's like you're racking up these golden coins in a video game to en entitlement. I'm entitled to be your president because I'm all these oppressed things. And the buzzword, and you're going to hear this now every time you watch the news, trust me, it's raise awareness. And when you hear that on the news, you are about to be told exactly what to think about a particular social issue. And if you interject or disagree, you're insensitive or you're not woke or some such thing like that. Mm -hmm. um, I want to quote um, Roger Oakland, who said, There was a time not long ago when the Bible was considered to be the word of God by the majority of evangelical Christians. And that's a, such a—you uh, you look at that statement, you go, really? But it's a, it's a sad truth. We used to have—I mean, there's no doubt the Bible is the word of God. How did so many people come to doubt that? It's healthy skepticism. There's nothing wrong with healthy skepticism. But when you've got mockers and scoffers coming and you've got the emergent church infiltrating, this is what the result of it. People are doubting whether it is even the Word of God. He said, now that we are well into the third millennium and the postmodern, post-Christian era, the term evangelical can mean almost anything. And that's true. Now we've got evangelicals that stand for things that we, we might consider unbiblical. Um, I think I'd like to go back a little bit and talk about some of the history, um, more history of the emergent church. We've got the players here. There's a lot of them. Um, we need to talk about Jim Wallace. Uh, maybe mention uh, Tony Campolo, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell we already mentioned. You can look him up. Um, so many others, but I do want to share a quote from Tony Jones. He said this. This was, do I have a year for this? Um, no, I don't. Okay, he said this. If this was at an emergent church workshop in San Diego. Um, what year? It does say it was. A, this was about, wow, almost 20 years ago. Um, he's the former national coordinator of the emergent village. Tony Jones said, this is about our belief that theology changes. The message of the gospel changes. It's not just the method that changes. And I would go, what? I submit to you that Jesus never changed his message to fit the times. And the apostles said, we must, must obey God rather than men. Um, did they change their message? And I'm not even sure the apostles really changed the method. But here you've got an emergent guru. Tony Jones is one of the, the leaders of that movement almost 20 years ago, saying they believe theology changes, the message of the gospel changes. Now, I know he, he said other, other things. And I don't want to take that out of context. But just those words alone are pretty, pretty clear in what he's believing. And well, I would just love to get your take on that because that is one of the things that they— Here's their belief that first the ambiguity, um, the doubt, casting doubt on whether it's God's word or not. But now th if theology changes and the message of the gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How does that change? Yeah. But this is what they were preaching to bring people in and say, here's the new method. Here's what works now. Right. And McLaren wrote a book called A New Kind of Christian. Wasn't that the name of it? And a that New was Kind of Christianity. Christianity or yeah. What? yeah, that's yeah. possibly it. And there's something behind the scenes here, too. I did some research several years ago. on. It's called Emergence Theology. And it's very much liberal. And it sounds just like the, the liberal theology line. Um, and and it's, it's, it's been designed by these people. These are people that that came to power in within the emergent church ranks. I don't know how. I mean, they have made an awful lot of money off of this particular uh, thing that they're espousing. So they're capitalists. I mean, talk about a little bit of hypocrisy right there. Yeah. A lot of these people are very, very rich. They go to, from conference to conference, reinventing, re-this, re-that. Uh, everything must change. It, it's hard to actually find exactly where that came from, except the half God said. I mean, everything is of the mm -hmm. same yes. uh, deception. And, yeah. and so we can point to that. But there is something called emergence theology mm -hmm. that— um, they call it the emergent church for a reason. No one really asks that. But it's just merging with the world. It's merging with, with godlessness and humanism. And practically rewriting scripture along the way. Here's some of other quotes. I just want to share these. Tony Jones said, um, in any case, I now believe that LGBT uh, Christians, what? 
individuals that hyphen again. can live lives in accord with biblical Christianity at least as much as any of us can, and their monogamy can and should be sanctioned and blessed by church and state. He goes on, and this is a different quote. Some people today may find it compelling that some great cosmic transaction took place on that day over uh, 1,900 years ago, 2,000 years ago, that God's wrath burned against his son instead of me. I find that version of atonement theory neither intellectually compelling, spiritually compelling, nor in keeping with the biblical narrative. Wow. These, some of these things are astounding to be mere, but I guess they shouldn't be mm-hmm. because the sad thing is they mm-hmm. drew a lot of disciples after them. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take an early break because I think we need to talk about what happened here in Wisconsin. Was it 10 years ago now? Mm-hmm. When Jim Wallace came to town, mm-hmm. yeah, he took a lot of people with him. But some say that those who spoke against Jim Wallace, and for a lot of you listeners that don't know who he is, we'll, we'll talk about that when we come back, that because we spoke out against that, trying to discern and warn people, we were the divisive ones. And so we're going to talk about a little bit of that history, what Wallace stands for, what he stood for. We'll quote the man himself, and we'll talk about more history of the emergent church when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We've got author Mary Danielson in studio here today, and we're talking about the emergent church, a little history, where it has led the social justice movement, that that is alive and well, a liberal theology, um, just what's happening and what people resort to. But um, I mentioned Mayor Pete Buttigieg earlier, and um, you wanted to share something regarding identity politics and why was someone, you look at that and go, really, we're just letting someone who's saying, I'm a gay Christian and he's using the Bible against others? It's like, come on, really? We're letting him get away with this? You wanted to share mm-hmm. some thoughts on that that I think are helpful. Let me back up a block here a little bit, um, get to the identity, uh, something about identity politics in the church, and then this will make a little bit more sense. Once people consider themselves with primarily a cultural label, then you add Christian to it. Now the entire conversation of a church can change to meet the needs based on that person's claims of inequity. Uh, Once a church leader then begins to apologize for being whatever they are and whatever collective sins history says is their fault. Now that church, there's there's your red flag, that church has crossed over into identity politics mm. and it's all over but the shouting. And I mean that literally. Um, <laughs> like I said earlier, the social justice playbook is a long read and it keeps getting edited over and over and over. Now, identity politics today is most seen in that endless beta test of LGBTQ acceptance in churches that maybe were um, formerly conservative. Like, look at the Southern Baptist Convention. They are under so much pressure to do this sort of thing. Identity politics is ramming down the door of the social, of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Well, the United Methodist Church is splitting over this. Right, and that's all about this. Pressure is going to be ramped up on every church to deflate their definition of sin or else. So that mindset Plus, social justice means now the church of collective guilt owes me something. Now the church owes me entertainment, equality, affirmation, diversion, diversity, all based on the parameters of someone's felt needs. So the organized church now has become a group of special rights committees seeing who can get the most attention. And in all this idolizing of identity, oh, my identity, my identity, well, you're made in God's image, number one, but what about God's identity and what about his claims as your creator and your judge. Yes, what about you know, our identity God in isn't allowed to have an identity, but every human can, can. And what about the Antichrist to come? His identity is actually, people are going to uh, take a mark of the number of his name. Hmm. Now they're going to, that's they're going to be their identity later on. Wow. And they will be eternally damned for that identity. So Satan is trying to destroy the fact that humans are made in God's image, image by giving them an identity that they want rather than in God. As Christians, we are citizens of heaven. We identify with Jesus Christ first that comes above anything and everything else. We might be a husband, a, a father, a, a brother, 
uh, sister, wife, we, we, we might be American, we might be Canadian, we might be something else, conservative, might be liberal, but we, we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ because we are new creations, citizens of a different government. It says the government will be on his shoulders. We identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom, and that is coming soon. Um, we mentioned uh, Jim Wallace is one of the main social justice warriors and one of the guys that was so influential in the emergent church. A little bit of his background, he was uh, arrested 22 times for acts of civil disobedience, I guess in his more rebellious days. But he might not be protesting out on the streets, but he is still rebelling against God's word and mm. about the person of Jesus Christ, the deity of Christ, which he denies. Um, he did serve as a spiritual advisor, in quotes, to President Obama. Um, he's a lifelong political activist. Jim Wallace founded Sojourner's Magazine, and we know his radical background, some of his beliefs. He came to speak in Wisconsin, to Wisconsin, at uh, Life Fest, a Christian festival, music festival, and at the time, this was 10 years ago, this was the reason that Stand Up For The Truth was birthed and is still on the radio. Because there's some Christians in some churches, and I want to say a minority, that were shocked that this decision to bring such a radical and a divisive individual serving a political ideology to a Christian music festival we were very disappointed, and we could no longer support that event. And you might say, well, you know, there's still a lot of good things there. What, do you, what would you say to this, Mayor? I want to get your take on this. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. We're back in 2010. Jim Wallace is coming to town. There's some good Christian bands. I mean, there's some that you can't understand the lyrics or you have no idea if they're biblical or not. But there are some, a lot of good Christian bands. They're in, in it for the ministry. Some are in it for it because it's a business. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Wallace is coming to speak there. Why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Well, <laughs> you know, there are two different genres. You know, when he gets up there to speak and he is... I, th I think when you're singing a tune and it may have some poetic lyrics and it may, it may have some doctrine, it may not have any doctrine mm -hmm. or whatever. It may have the gospel, it may not. It's positive and entertaining. It's positive and entertaining, and so it's it's something that the young people can do um, that the parents are okay with. But now you have someone up there speaking uh, to tens of thousands of young people. Uh, he has a captive audience. Mm -hmm. and Thank you. And basically he, he is giving them a worldview other than the one that hopefully their parents want them to have. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. And here's and the thing, cool. to clarify, the, we even said, why don't you, the you know promoters of LifeFest, why don't you bring in a conservative Christian? Why don't you bring in a Republican? Bring in someone to speak that can debate him. Have both, give both views, and then it'll be okay, because people can hear both views. Hopefully they know their Bible well enough to discern, and they can hear both views and make up their minds. Mm -hmm. But no. They, it was one-sided. I want to read one uh, comment at the time from the president of the Institute of Religion and Democracy, IRD, Mark Tooley, said, Life Fest seems to have crossed the threshold into the evangelical left orbit with the entrance of Wallace. Adding to the leftward slant was the less high-profile but still significant appearance of an anti-American pacifist preacher, Shane Claiborne, right. a popular urban monastic who sincerely, sinisterly equates America with ancient Babylon, the Roman Empire, the Third Reich, and he said some youthful concert-goers and naive evangelical organizers may be seduced by Wallace, Jim Wallace's throwaway lines, but most mature Christians understand that the gospel is about considerably more than Wallace's brand of White House theology. Yeah. Again, he took the stage. This was in July of 2010, and his presentation was called uh, The Call to Jesus and His Kingdom of Justice. And it is actually amazing some of the things he mm -hmm. did, but he, in that he criticized, I remember his part of his speech, we, we've written about it and talked about it, but he criticized conservative Christians mm -hmm. and Republicans. Mm -hmm. He's a so, Marxist. He's a Marxist. And the fact that— He had that platform. Yes. He had a huge platform, and people—and it was given to him. 
and we were shocked. And what happened was, too, maybe a lot of people don't realize, is that Calvary Chapel, a letter went out to all the evangelical churches in the state and all the radio stations What saying, was the response? It was oh, amazing. Was it? It was amazing. Um, Probably on both sides? What, that booklet that you have there ended up to be um, something that I wrote. Um, Pastor Dwight asked me to write that and actually give it as a prophecy update for the congregation. Um, and I had a lot of response, positive. People saying, thank you for that letter. We didn't know. And then you guys ran with it. And it was in Christianity Today. It yeah. was covered in Front Page Magazine, which is just a conservative think tank. Yeah. Uh, the Post-Crescent, I mean, it really blew up. And I, I mean, we were so proud of you guys for doing what you did. Well, we, how can you not? If, if, if you know what we know, meaning if you've studied Scripture and you discern the truth, you have a biblical worldview, and something comes in that would contradict that, that would deceive people, shouldn't we say something? There should be red flags. If there aren't, you got to wonder exactly what it is that your worldview is or what what are you looking at? It boggled my mind at the time, and it kind of still does. So, yeah, we at the time we tried to cut through the cheese in Wisconsin. But uh, author and commentator, a guy named Eric Rush, I don't hear much from him anymore, but he's an African-American uh, commentator, conservative, and he uh, pointed out that actually he broke the story about President Obama's former pastor, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, and black liberation theology, which we don't have time to get into right now, but he called social justice Christians, quote, another well-organized group of traitors to America. He doesn't hold any punches. He said their religion has become superficial. And I'm going to quote him. I wouldn't quote him if I didn't agree with his statements. As with health care reform, many are aware that social and environmental Quote, justice issues are not about justice at all. They are calculated to deliver unprecedented levels of power to the federal government. I declare that social justice Christianity is apostasy. Its adherents have abandoned their faith for a cause. While some are misguided Christians and deceived, others, like Jim Wallace, are out-and-out Marxist posers. Proverbially, they now stand with the Sadducees and Rome against Israel. While I pray that God will have mercy on their souls, we must show them no mercy politically. That is spot on. And I do want to add, too, about Israel, because uh, Israel, according to social justice and the emergent church and a whole lot of other people out there, including Jim Wallace, that Israel is is not the apple of God's eye. They are (sighs) occupiers in their own land. They've and duped it, a lot of people, yes. thanks to Lynn Hybels, Lynn by the Hybels, way. Lynn Hybels, who works for Sojourners, or who did, I don't know if she does now, but the Arab groups living there are the victims of Israel. Victim Victimhood politics is a huge part of identity politics, and this is more widespread in the church than you can imagine. Um, uh, this is a, a, a pretty big deal that Israel is being kicked to the curb for the fav- in favor of social justice politics. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about the emergent church, uh, you, we started off this program. We only got three minutes left. We started off this program reading kind of like a tongue-in-cheek obituary of the emergent church. Why does it no longer exist? Well, to clarify, the names may have changed or people may have moved on. We don't hear it mentioned much at all anymore, but we are seeing the rotten fruit and infestation of it and, and the residual now. Mm-hmm. And that last point you brought up, I think, is one of the big ones, Mayor, that a lot of Christians in America have been duped and have become almost anti-Israel. That is one of the most telling things that has happened in the last maybe three, four decades. Yes, and the other thing, too— What about Bible prophecy? They they take that and they go, oh, that's— That's just what I was going to say, because in the emergent church and in all these politics is dominion theology. We are going to make the world a better place— Man um, has to man do Man has to do it. Man has to solve all the ills Humanism, of, of there we go. We got that in. Right. We have to solve every— <laughs> And, and what, what human can solve or meet every need in an inequitable society? That's a ridiculous goal to have. Yeah. But it's all about opposing God as his com- at his coming. It's about dominion theology. We're going to clean up the world and feed all the poor. And maybe God will come back after that, and maybe he won't. But we really don't care. So do uh, some on what may be considered the Christian left or people, liberals that kind of follow— that say they're Christian, um, and I'm not saying liberals cannot be Christian, mm-hmm. but uh, political liberalism is one thing, mm-hmm. but liberalism in the church is heresy. It's apostasy. That is, <laughs> uh, what was I going to ask you um, to clear up this? 
I don't I, I don't know where I was going. Okay. What did you just we just mentioned Israel? Yes, we just mentioned Israel, and you were talking about um, you can be a liberal and be saved, but yes, but the liberal gospel, liberal theology, is antithetical to the Bible. And why would you identify? As a liberal Christian, why would the Christian left? Why would you make that and one of the, right. of the main identifiers in your, I guess, uh, right. politics? But anyway, when, when you look at the list of all the things we are in Christ, it's it's how can you trade that off? Either they don't know who they are in Christ, called out, not of this world, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, all these things reconciled to Him, spotless and blameless. If you make that list, why would you try to have an identity in something worldly and temporal? Why would you? Why would you trade? That's a worth trade-off in history. So, Mayor, where can people get more information on uh, your booklet, maybe the emergent church, and maybe mm-hmm. people who are just new to this concept and didn't realize mm-hmm. that there were uh, evil, s- seducing mm-hmm. players that were actually deceiving right. possibly hundreds of thousands of Christians right. in America? I have several. I have a couple of tracks. I actually have one called In Good Faith about Shane Claiborne because he slipped under the radar at LifeFest, yes. and he, yes, he, is, he, he promotes Che Guevara. I mean, it, it's just so... It's just mind-boggling. But anyway, and so um, the Jim Wallace one, and I have another one on the Emergent Church. You can email me at cchapel at ccappleton.org. That's C-C-H-A-P-E-L at ccappleton.org. I'd be happy to get those out to you. We'll put that in today's podcast post at standupforthetruth.com. We'll wrap up today's show and tell you about the rest of the week when we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, uh, great uh, time talking about these things. Again, revisiting some church, American church history via the Emergent Church, how that is happening and concern and what the effect of that. So I hope, hopefully it was helpful. We prayed that the Holy Spirit was leading. I know we covered a lot uh, not thoroughly, but enough information to get, maybe whet your appetite a little bit if you want to get a little bit more and research this on your own, because it has not gone away. And and these things, under the guise of hath God, did God really say? Um, we can always find something that's coming up under that umbrella. But um, tomorrow, Pastor Mike Abendroth will be here. Uh, not here. <laughs> not in studio. He's from Massachusetts. Um, Thursday, Julian Appling, a very important election coming up in Wisconsin. They've got events coming up i think in fact thursday or friday night don't remember what city but with julaine appling wisconsin family council thursday friday we're, it's been years since we've talked to pastor chris quintana from calvary chapel out there and i think cyprus california he's got some big news if you haven't heard uh, yet and we'll talk about the uh, peace plan the middle east peace plan and um maybe what uh, president trump is trying to do that's friday so thank you so much for tuning in remember as always please share our podcast on social media, and uh, that will help us out quite a bit and get new people to hear the truth. God bless you. As always, uh, keep speaking the truth in love and um, never be afraid to stand up for what you believe. Thanks so much for listening.